Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest needs little introduction. Reshma Sahoni is one of the founders of Seedcamp, early stage investors to the likes of UiPath, TransferWise and Revolut to name a few. She did this while raising two kids, both born during Seedcamp's rocket ship journey. In this episode we cover giving up the CEO title and learning to let go, zero sum versus positive sum delegation, how success changes you and understanding when is enough, and engineering a legacy for your business. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santharasanan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads, or this week, Startup Mums. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Reshma Sahoni to the show. I'm going to ask you, Reshma, about the time in your life when you became a startup mum. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, remember it vividly. In 2007, I became a startup mom to Seed Cap, my first, <laughs> my first baby. <laughs> so almost for 15 years ago now. That's absolutely unreal. And when your second baby came along, can you talk us a little bit about the time when that collided with Seed Camp? Because I often think there's no perfect time <laughs> to have a child for a founder. What was life like at Seed Camp going on there before baby number two came along and how did it change? Yes, and I think your point on there's not a perfect time to have human children because <laughs> uh, really seed camp is my first child so not to have human children because actually it is a question i get a lot um because women are increasingly in venture capital and becoming partners starting their own firms so it is one of those secret questions i get and i'm like you know what you'll try your best you don't want to be kind of six months pregnant and you're fundraising for your fund but it might happen and that's okay because you just want to really want a healthy happy baby, right? And as a woman too, again, maybe your dads don't talk about this. If you go backwards, although the birth of the child was for us, October, 2012, you know, you're pregnant nine months before. So, I mean, it is a year, so it is 2011 and we got married 2010. We got engaged 2009. (laughs) So we have to think about it at three, four years in advance, not just like, oh, look, here's a baby. He's born now. When I think back to it too, I just think how amazing that the most successful years of seed camp are paired up with a newborn and then a second newborn in 2018. And we did have a pretty big gap between the 2012, 2018. But yeah, it's it's nice to see that it didn't slow me down or what I think there's a lot of fear out there of, of um, once women have kids. You know, that the first baby, the startup baby takes a backseat. That's clearly not the case. No, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I've certainly never felt more stressed than when things are going well compared to when things are not going so well. At least you have time to think about things when they're not going well. It looks like the timing of your children came along during a period of explosive growth for Seed Camp. I'd love to know from your point of view, because you made a point which I think lots of startup dads don't think about, and I didn't, speaking honestly, until my first daughter came along, which was for a dad, broadly, you were no baby, no baby, no baby, no baby, baby right? And if you're a mum, you're not that because you are growing a child inside you for nine months. 
and you're going through so many things. And so the question I had for you is, how did you prepare for that? Did you? Did you just jump into it and deal with it as it came? You know, different founders I talk to have different attitudes to preparation. And I'd love to know how you dealt with that time because it was going like full on rocket mode, right? Absolutely. I do think 2010, 2011 was an important tipping point for us where we collectively at at Seedcamp realized, and, and I think I was very fortunate that in 2010 late, Carlos joined me as a partner with me. So it wasn't this like kind of carrying everything by myself feeling and I actually changed title from CEO to partner. So that's a, that's a whole other other topic that we can, we can get into. But I do think 2010, 2011, we were getting companies like TransferWise coming through and founders of that ilk and ambition and quality coming through. I think if we felt like we are not an experiment, this is something that's going to last the test of time. And I do think that that was important moment. Did I plan therefore then to get pregnant after that feeling of moment? No, but you know, so but I do think it helped ease a little bit more stress, right? And then we're both engineer trained, very pragmatic, pragmatic, practical. And then I think with the birth of Lucas coming in in again October 2012 seems to be always like September, October for milestones. October 2012, I didn't take any time off. You know, do I regret? I don't love regrets. So, but I think in the second one, 2018, I did take a proper maternity leave, but we just couldn't, we couldn't afford it. And we let the pragmatic dictate sort of what we did. So in that sense, the NHS is wonderful in that, again, they try to have a very pragmatic birth process. And so they said, don't stress out if it's going fine. And I was like, ah. That's great advice. As an engineer, I can deal with this. Like, I can handle this. And my pregnancy, fortunately, did go fine. So it was just middle of the road, never easy, right? But the birth process was straightforward, I should call it, painfully straightforward. And kind of that night, I was bored because I didn't know what to do with the baby. So she was just sort of hanging out there. And I was back on. And I remember my colleague being like, did I just hear you literally had a baby? I was like, yeah, that's probably six hours ago. <laughs> anyway, you know. So I think I was fortunate to have that experience that way. And the second one went the same. So very fortunate, right? And uh, and so I think we kind of didn't do a massive amount of planning. I was signing an M&A document while in labor and God. said, guys, I have to go to the hospital because I think this is happening. So I am going to be offline five, six hours. <laughs> like whatever so, so 99% you can't do that so I think we were just lucky to be crazy like crazily that it went well and so I didn't really take three months after but I took a little bit of to just manage it and probably most importantly my husband did step back um out of a consulting role which just couldn't have been possible to do concurrently so he, he took on primary care responsibilities beyond the needful as such. So that's how we managed it. And then I came back and kind of we had a, a real engineered solution to childcare and so forth when I returned three months later, roughly. You know, we were four people. We just had a lot on and it had to get done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you set me up perfectly for my next question, which is parental leave hits women by far the hardest still, you know, although things are changing, still we're not anywhere near equal, can be really difficult to come back from in a high growth environment. And I don't think actually people talk about the opportunity cost. It doesn't actually matter if you can take it or not. I think you said something really great. You're judged by what you've done recently. 
you're as good as your last game. And particularly in a high growth business where, you know, annual cycles are kind of a bit of a joke, you know, in reality, if a business is growing fast. I'm really interested in your thoughts on if you had the flexibility, and maybe we do in a slightly more remote world now, what a better parental leave strategy would be for people who candidly love their business, right? Not as much as they love their kids, but certainly love their work more than the average person. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Yes. I mean, I fundamentally do believe parental leave should be equal in the sense that men should be forced to take it and probably new moms as well. Again, you can make it six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and then perhaps depends, I think, on the business. You need that bonding time with the little baby too and, and for both parents. And, and I just think, again, equally for men to really see the work day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour of what caretaking is, logistics management, you still have to cook food, like everything, right? And so I do find men who have taken parental leave of any length have a 10x appreciation for startup babies and, and human babies than a man who hasn't. And so that one, it's an important point. As much as, again, sitting at his partners, you're like, oh, dang it. Okay, you're a man though. But no, it's important. You need to take that. And uh, it creates a healthier life as a family. And then, you know, because we are startups where family and work are so connected to your point where we love both um, equally, sometimes one more than the other depends. The balance and the health of each matters to the other. They're not disconnected pieces. So I'm a huge proponent of equal parental leave, at least for 12 weeks, and then, you know, six to 12 weeks, somewhere in there. And then you can see from there. Yeah. My daughter was not born in the pandemic, but the pandemic kind of took hold when she was three months old. And it was a real eye-opener for me. Speaking honestly, I should tell my wife that she's amazing more, but I think it just made me have an appreciation for the fact that there are times where you literally, your child won't let you put them down. And you have to do everything. Absolutely. And one of our sort of high growth company CEOs just had a baby and he talked about in the board meeting is taking some time off. And he said, finally, it's actually pushed him to let go and be less controlling in his company. So that's a huge positive because we've been pushing on hiring more senior level and him releasing that grip. So you could think about the negatives of that time out and being pulled out and different kind of cognitive disturbance in the force as such. But actually, it is a positive a lot. It was a positive for me moving from CEO to partner and letting some of that go. It's a positive for him as CEO to empower more senior team members to take on so that when he comes back, he'll be in a better position to lead this company. That's an amazing upside to to taking some leave as well. 100%. Yeah. I always joke that I use this podcast as shameless coaching from people who are better at this job than I am. So I want to ask you selfishly for a moment from my perspective at HX, I'm going through this period now. The business is growing. There were 14 of us permanently last year. There's 50 now. Wow. It's growing at a rate that candidly, I find it uncomfortable. That's probably human nature. I'm not sure how many people are super comfortable with a ride if that's as fast as that. What was the framing that you used to help you learn how to delegate and let go? Because you consciously, strategically made the choice to go from CEO to partner. The seed camp structure changed. You're bringing in a partnership structure. How did you do that? And what was the way you delegate and devolve your responsibility? Yes, I think there's fundamentally some value systems. And so I think any leader, whether it's singular 
or, you know, to three founders or, or whatnot. I think so there's a set of values and intrinsic adoption of those. You cannot get forced into this. You won't, you won't do it well if you do. So I think there was a, a fundamental view that sharing the burden of leadership is the direction of movement and moving from kind of the board with me to a partner with me. And again, venture funds are different than companies and the regulatory nature also forces some of these things. So, but inherently I had to believe that. Right? And uh, one of the things where Carlos and I tussled in the early days and got to a healthy conclusion, probably after a year of tussling, to be honest, is also, I think, recognizing that we are not in a zero-sum game between us, that the seat camp pie gets bigger and we can do different things within it to show our leadership, uh, to manifest our leadership, and also to do a bit of give and take. And so we cut the pie where I know he's better at determining certain conclusions and, and actions, and he knows my skill set is better served to make some decisions. And so we determine that over time. And also, like I think in the arguments you'll have, it's like, is that the hill I'm willing to die on, right? And I think, again, figuring that out over the course of months and a year. And so the support system we had were more informal coaching and our advisory board at the time that helped us through that. And uh, I think both of us are both engineers, but MBA trained as well. So I think leaning on some of that background education helped us. And I think life experience, we were in our 30s, you know, kind of going through this that helped us as well. So a combination of a few of those, but I think intrinsically you have to have a similar value system and a value system of believing into the sharing and the the growing. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's super helpful. As you played that back to me, if I'm really honest with you, when I reflect on people who I'm most comfortable delegating, if you're fortunate enough to hire great people, it's very rarely a technical blocker to delegation. It's a cultural. That's where I get most nervous is if I can't be really comfortable that they've got the cultural alignment. Absolutely. And I think we forget when we bring on team members that there is a probation period. There is reviews. We almost forget and we think, this is it. This is forever now. This person won't leave or they don't want to leave, or but it's not. And those, again, tools are there for us to utilize to gradually delegate or share roles and responsibilities and RASCI frameworks, all of that. Again, really, really great tools to help. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely true. And these are, like you say, frameworks that you can use to make things more explicit that in the beginning of a startup, you just rely on lots of things being implicit. And as they grow, you know, these things are just such valuable tools. So I want to change tack a little bit and ask you a question that I don't get to ask many guests on the show, because we don't tend to have late stage founders, if you will. You've had so much success. I'm not going to list all the kind of crazy size companies, Decacorns, right? I wonder whether you've got any kind of $100 billion companies on your thing, but you're not probably far away. How has your success changed your outlook on life and work-life balance? Because I often think about this when I do the thought experiment of when will I feel like not as stressed as fuck all the time? So I'd love to know, how has it changed your outlook on life? Uh, has it, I suppose, would be the first question I have for you. And how has it changed work-life balance? It has, I think, in terms of maybe it's a typical immigrant story. When I was first an immigrant into America, I was age 10. You know, parents 
it made a huge sacrifice because they were well, just middle class, like, you know, and not struggling in America, but they left everything and a career that wasn't as respected in the US. And I find doctors have that obviously when they change countries as well. And it wasn't the same. So my, my dad had to take a step down in his career. And my mother had to move from house being a mom to working mother to support, right? And so then that and then when I was an immigrant into Europe, 15 years later, very different, it came in with a role at, at uh, well, first from Ambien and then Vodafone, right? And so maybe with that immigrant background, I would say, I got a good education on what's happiness and what's enough. <laughs> and so I think uh, I have a healthy appreciation of it for where I come from. And therefore, the success, measuring it kind of, well, there's monetary, there's family, health and peace of mind. Monetarily, I feel happy. I don't feel need that I did as an immigrant. <laughs> and in my age now, mid 40s, it is a thought towards a healthy life where stress, you know, stress in its days of managing a newborn baby alongside seed camp, that's not a recipe towards a healthy life. And because we had kids later in our age, I'd like to be around for a sizable part of their life. So it's rebalancing. It doesn't negate the hunger and ambition for your brand and the company you're building and the team of 20 we are now and their ambitions and their goals around happiness. So that's not negated. It's better balance. I feel fortunate to know kind of what happy means to me and be happy with happy. <laughs> I think entrepreneurs really struggle with that is being happy with happy. A hundred percent. The immigrant story is something I can very much relate to. You see the sacrifices and struggles that your parents make. It can be a motivator and also teach you what's important. But did you know that beforehand? I don't know whether this question is easy to answer, having seed camp far outweighed any expectation you had at the beginning. The definition of happiness is reality exceeding expectations. <laughs> so as an engineer, you hope for the best, plan for the worst kind of thing. So if you understand that calculus of reality beating expectations and you're an immigrant, you're naturally inclined to, I think, be pretty pragmatic about your expectations, but you have ambition. Again, you're hoping for reality to exceed expectations, but you're pragmatic. So unfortunately, my, my mother passed away from cancer six years ago in a couple of weeks, it'll be. So obviously profound, right? But she was probably one of my biggest role models in terms of how to live life. So yeah, she instilled a lot of fundamental values and thinking around happiness and quality of life and spirituality and all of that from a very young age, which has really been foundational for character, whatever character I have, character building. That's super cool. I think my instinct is that perspective you have is quite rare in entrepreneurs and business builders? I believe so. Yeah, they just kind of go in the moment, right? There was a problem, they wanted to solve it. And it's like, oh, hey, well, you've solved a lot of problems now. You know, you should be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is really timely for me because HX is going through this wild growth phase. You know, when you set up a business and you've got no fucking idea actually what it means to set up a business and you have stupid metrics like number of people and valuation and all of those things, but you realize are kind of vanity metrics in the grand scheme of things, right? After you've been doing it for a little while, we've kind of blasted through those. Absolutely. And there's always someone who's doing something 
better than you across and heck of a lot of people who are unfortunately doing worse as well, right? And so you can always be constantly comparing, bringing it all again down to what do I want to accomplish? And how is that again in balance with, with if you have kids, that, that next generation of what you want to give to them? Yeah. Yeah. And I found myself using a really powerful kind of framework for myself recently, where I think if I could tell my daughter about the choices that I made in five to 10 years time, how would I feel about the choices that I've made? Like you say, having kids can be an incredibly powerful framework for making you think much more long-term. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's super interesting. That's a really interesting answer and totally different to what I was expecting you to say, (laughs) but that's super cool. What advice would you give, I suppose, to an early stage founder still pushing through the early stages? If you could go back when you were growing, you had to start up one, start up two, maybe start up three as well. And you were pushing it through the periods of crazy growth. You know, what advice would you give to yourself? How to navigate those things and maybe make it a little bit less stressful? Yes, I think to the point we made before, uh, you need a compass, you need a direction of travel, you need a North Star you need a path towards that and sort of measuring it, whether it's every quarter, every six months, again, for yourself on the path you're traveling. So I think that's one, knowing where you're going (laughs) helps a lot with stress management because then you are not in the rat race. You're in a race for a destination or a goal where you're doing it for a bigger purpose. So I think that's huge. Two, as I said, I think for me, sharing that, was a big stress reliever. Am I sharing all my precious carry with someone else? Yes. But because of that one person or two or or whatnot coming in, the whole pie is going to be bigger, worth more. And I couldn't have gotten there myself. And so sharing that load, the burden is massive. And I think in Carlos, you know, found someone who immediately, while we were even chatting about him coming on, kept saying, when we do this for us, rather than how is it impacting you or how, what's your strategy? It was amazing. Those little keywords are like, yes, this is the person's going to own this problem with me and it won't be my problem. But he's like, well, let me see what I can do with that. And uh, so it was a true sharing that helped a lot. And I think when entrepreneurs take our money or investor money, it used to be much more needed to be said. I think it less so now, but it's still probably worth a reminder is it is no longer your company. Once you take some money in or give shares to anyone else, you are an employee. You are no longer you know, the sole shareholder. So that can either be a negative or I think it's a great positive because again, the board can be, you know, utilize them well, communicate openly, transparently. They are resource for you. Again, to lower your stress levels, do it wrongly, and you feel you're reporting to them and that adds more stress. But you know, we utilized our advisory board that way, continue to do so with our LPs. It's like, hey, I have this problem. Can you help? Hey, I'm thinking this way. Can you help? But that's what they want to do. So I think startup entrepreneurs don't appreciate the upside of having governance, having people who share your burden with you, even if you are CEO and have all this on your shoulders. So leaning in to resources and advisors and so forth helps a lot with stress management. But again, knowing your, you know, where are you going? What's your North Star? Yeah, that's super powerful. I think the idea that if you've got that 
you are moving towards a destination rather than running a rat race is a really powerful, really powerful framework. Because if you take that away, as you said, there's always someone else in this industry, right? And nowadays it's never more publicized, these wild success stories. Most of them are on, on Seedcamp's balance sheet. <laughs> um, but, you know, these wild success stories, and it can be hard to avoid losing that frame of reference. And in the article, I think you mentioned, that's where it really hit for me is our second son born 2018 is when I took that, certainly three months, but more into sort of five, six months, where I really tried to detach, bond more with him. Because actually, I do think with my first one, we didn't quite bond well enough. So we're doing that now. Um, I find it easier to bond with him as a nine-year-old, to be honest, too. That's why I don't love regrets, because I think there's pros and cons to everything. But yeah, having the second one coming back in, you realize it's like, oh, I went really led on an investment, you know, thought in the last four months. There's some other people come in. <laughs> and yeah, because, uh, you know, if you retire, die, whatever, the sun will still rise and there is a wholly new ambitious person who, who looks and sounds a lot like you <laughs> coming up again. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think... I always joke every time I seem to take holiday, our business team closes more sales. So I just need to, right, to, to, to get out of the way, I think. <laughs> Can I ask you, Reshma, because I don't know if you're thinking about this now or not, but do you think about Seed Camp's legacy? I'm assuming that at the very beginning, you don't think about it at all, right? And I'm assuming the amount you think about it at least is more than zero. <laughs> you said that value system alignment and what you're building for when the sun rises in the future with someone else at the helm or a new partner or whatever happens with Mesha. How do you think about that? Yeah. And again, I think maybe an engineering mindset kind of think of it at a nucleus level, atomic level and outwards. I recently made the move to Miami with our family. Again, it fits what I want to put emphasis on, it doesn't detract from seed camp where it is today, but it put more emphasis on our kids growing up with sunshine and green spaces to run and be at one with their surroundings much more easily. And actually an infrastructure here that supports me even doing more time with seed camp and yet seeing my kids, right? So when I made that move and the first person I talked to after kind of, you know, the partners I talked to, to Saul... And he's like, you could drop the mic now and leave. And I was like, yes, that's so great. Because he's co-founded it with me. It was really his brainchild originally. It's just so amazing to hear that. And again, I don't know if entrepreneurs allow themselves to hear that from anyone and be happy with it, be satisfied. And I was like, yep, great. The nucleus level, my legacy is set because did that. But then of course, you know, again, that does not take away from ambition. It almost unlocks it because you're happy at the nucleus. You're not kind of battling your own self, you know? So then we have thought a lot about legacy. We think we have the fundamentals to be a long lasting fund, company, culture, all of that. So our two partners, along with Carlos and I, are 10 years younger than us. And then we have an associate and analyst who are 10 years younger than them. So shows you how old I'm getting. <laughs> but, uh, so that's how we are thinking about that legacy. And then again, you know, now that I'm a bit more asynchronous versus synchronous in exactly the London time zone, spend more time on the business of Seed Camp versus doing the business of Seed Camp. And it matches to the different experiences and ages of four out of the six people as well on the investment team. And hopefully engendering what we think are the positive right aspects of our culture 
to be taken forward when that sun rises. They're sort of facing it in an increasingly leadership position going forward. That's absolutely awesome the way you've kind of built the, like you say, the nucleus and the atoms around it. It's awesome. You have to really calm your ego down, though, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Dare I say, is that easier for women than <laughs> I don't know. I reckon so. I reckon there's probably testosterone fucks a lot of stuff up. <laughs> Speaking honestly, I think your point, again, it's a framing thing, isn't it? It's not a failure in yourself if you're not needed. <laughs> yes. It's a success. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. I'm not saying, you know, I'm immune to it either. And again, maybe they're seeing like a little human of yours that you're like, well, that's there anyways. <laughs> like I've left that on the planet. And, uh, so maybe, and it came from me. So maybe there's a bit of that where you're like, Already your ego is getting a reality check with two little humans going around having their own dreams and ambitions. So perhaps that helps. But I do find women I speak with who have been extremely successful, it does seem a bit easier for them to like become <laughs> some of the men. Yeah, there's lots to learn there, isn't there? It's really interesting. Your point about the asynchronous side of things, I think is really, really something that is really powerful and it must be really interesting for you with Miami time zone being a little bit of a forcing function although I'm sure actually it could just end up with you working a slightly time shifted day even longer if you didn't manage it you know one of the things I've seen as my business has grown is being able to codify principles so that you don't rely on the reality distortion field of your charisma or communication style or whatever it is, is so powerful. And it's so important to succeeding the success, legacy driven or otherwise, you know, scale driven of your business. That's really interesting to think about how a time zone shift can help you, can be a forcing function for that. It's perspective. You can think of them negatively or you can think of what's the positive, explosive kind of force that can come out of it. So, and I think hopefully we've hired a set of people that think of it in that positive and explosive way. Super cool. Super, super cool. I'd like to ask you the biggie now, Reshmo, which is what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd like to pass on to your kids? Curiosity. And I think it goes back to ambition and satisfaction. Just always being curious. Something I think a lot about with my kids, they're very different personalities. And so one will need to be taught that and will have to become a yoga of optimism and curiosity. And the other one will have to almost like tame, tame him down. It's kind of living with that curiosity. It stays with you for a lifetime. And, it, you know, you have different grandparents, I'm sure, too. And again, South Asian culture, so many are grandparents to you, right? Essentially, of a, of a generation, you watch different people, how they age their mental, physical health and keeping that curious mind and curious body just is great for, for a longer, healthier life. Yeah. The thing that you can sustain an interest in without trying is one of the biggest drivers of a long-term success. And that point about curiosity being a crucial kind of ingredient in that is really powerful. Yes. And optimism. And then as Ted Lasso says, be a goldfish. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, this has been an absolutely epic, lesson-packed show. I always joke with the kind of investors, this is like asking them to pick a favourite child, so I don't know how you do this. But we'd like to wrap up our show with our startup shout-out feature, where we shine a light on an entrepreneur or founder or startup in the kind of ecosystem that we admire and think that deserves a little bit of light. Startup shout-out. You're not allowed to say Revolut or TransferWise or UiPath. They've got, they're doing fine. They're doing fine. Uh, I love hard problems. And so today I'm going to pick Garden. 
which is really trying to, with a combination of their cameras and then software algorithms, customer trials they're doing, really trying to increase the nutrition quality of plants that we ingest, 7 billion of us. So I think a healthier all of us is better for the world. So yeah, Garden, G-A-R-D-I-N. Amazing. That sounds super cool. Well, Reshma, again, thank you so much for that. That was an absolute cracker. I've written down all the key takeaways as you've been talking and I've got eight and that's not going to fit into the 30 seconds of the intro to the show. So I've got some work to do now. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 